Welcome in to the best in paranormal programming. This is Darkness Radio on a Wednesday. It is, uh, we'll call it your fireworks hangover edition. I'm your host, Tim Dennis, and it is a Supernatural News Wednesday. With us, we have to have a co-host or a co-hostess with the mostest. And with us today is Mally Fox. Hi, Mally. Hello. Hello. How I feel like I always do that. Hello. Hello. <laughs> There's uh, nothing wrong with that. Uh, I, uh... I would do it, but I, I'm not you. So there mm-hmm. you go. So if you sound like Mrs. Uh, Doubtfire. I would. I'd be like, hello. <laughs> uh, that does kind of sound somewhat uh, Mrs. Doubtfire-ish, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, Mally, I have something quite disturbing to tell you about. We'll, we'll get to that in a second. Um, I'm going to ask the question, uh, do wild animals have souls? Um, I uh, This morning had... Uh, quite the actually I've, I've had this experience over the last few months but it really hit me this morning so um i i have to i have to talk to somebody and you're my therapist today so um, oh. yeah i got to get that out today so that's that's we're going to tackle that here in a minute uh lots of big stories today mal we're going to talk a little bit more about uh ufos and retrieval programs and congress doubling down on it okay that's that's coming up in today's program uh, we're also going to talk about actual UFOs appearing throughout the world. It seems like uh, they keep showing up. They don't want to. They don't want to stop showing up on our planet. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to get down to the nitty gritty when it comes to that. Time dilation experiments. I know. Uh, I know you're conducting them in your backyard. <laughs> um. <laughs> Do they explain dark matter and the expanding universe? We're going to get all geeky on it uh, today. That's going to be one of the things we'll talk about. A uh, Another case of a dead 49-year-old woman waking up on her way to her own funeral. That's right. People are waking up, Mally, Ugh. in the last uh, few weeks. Why can't people stay dead? We'll talk about that today as well. And much, much more. We got a lot of stuff to talk about today on Supernatural News. And we'll talk a little bit of entertainment today, Mally. A little bit of... Because okay. uh, we, we seem to have lost that element in our program. We'll talk a little bit today about... Uh, by the way, are you still keeping up with Walking Dead by chance? No, I stopped a long time ago. Did you? Some, yeah. Some of these new spinoff programs are pretty good. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm keeping up with Dead City, which uh, mm-hmm. Dead City is the spinoff with Negan and um, Maggie. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty good program, by the way. But there's a new one with uh, Norman Reedus, with his character. Oh. Yeah, it's about to come out this fall, and they've put out little teaser trailers. We'll talk a little bit about those teaser trailers that are out there, and uh, we'll talk about that today. And Marvel's having a bit of a problem with the House of Mouse, Disney, uh, they're having the same problem DC is having, Mel, in that they, uh, I think the superhero genre is on its last legs. Oh, okay. So we'll talk about why the superhero genre is falling flat on its face. Mm. Just for a brief moment. We'll talk okay. about that. We'll geek out a little bit on you today uh, about the superhero genre. And... Uh, and then we do have some stories that our listeners have sent along as well today. We want to thank you guys for sending along those stories. Uh, we're going to hold on to a Parashare story until next week. By the way, folks, we are getting your Parashare stories. We appreciate them. Uh, you can send them one of two ways. You can either send them to Tim at DarknessRadio.com if you write them out in an email. Or you can go to DarknessRadioShow.com 
And on the right-hand side of the website, there's a blue button there. Click on that blue button. You can leave us a voice note. There's a two-minute window in which you can leave that voice note. If your story's a little bit longer than two minutes, it's okay. You just click on that blue button again. You got another two minutes. I'll stitch those two-minute windows together, and we'll create an audio story that we can play for you right here on the show. By all means, just continue to send your stories into us here on the show because we love to hear your stories here on the show as well. Well, Mel, here's the time in the program where I sit down with you. Uh, I don't have a couch to lay on, uh, Mm -hmm. but I do have my comfy little chair here. I got a little something to drink. Uh, I need to use you as a therapist for a quick minute if I can. Sure. Okay, here's the deal. I sent you a picture, and I'm going to put this picture up in our blog section at darknessradioshow.com. As you know, I have a little chipmunk friend named Wicket. Okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, Wicket and I get along famously. Uh, I, you sound like an old man. <laughs> well, I, that's the only way I could put it. We get along famously. Uh, Wicket and I share um, a love for strawberries. Uh, we, we have strawberries every morning. People may say that, uh, boy, that that chipmunk has expensive tastes, but let's face it, strawberries aren't that expensive, especially if you find them on sale. You know, <laughs> I, I, I'm getting no response from you, Mally. You're like, oh, my God, this is weird. Um, now I feel like I'm talking to the wall. Um, but, you know, I, I, I give him almonds for treats and he eats black mm-hmm. oil sunflower seeds and he has a good little life, right? I mean, mm-hmm. for a chipmunk, right? And this is every morning. Well, yeah, I give them I give them treats every morning, and I, we do have strawberries every morning now. It's because it, I I need my antioxidants. Okay, I'm trying to eat better now. You know, good for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I, I I try to eat like a like a little like a like. Like eggs in the morning and, and a little protein, little little fruit. You know what I'm okay, saying? Okay, so no danishes. No, 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 no. Donuts. Nope. Little okay. little little protein, little fruit. That's what, okay. that's what I try to do in the morning. And lots of water. I might have a cup of coffee. You know, little little. I didn't know you drank coffee. Yeah, just a little caffeine boost. What I do as well as I I I told everybody on the program here is that I have some super greens as well. Mm. So, <laughs> look at you. Mm. Um, <laughs> no, I just started up with that as well. So, mm-hmm. I put mine in lemon juice. and. Oh, do you? That's different. Yeah, because I do like a shot. Oh, you do a shot? Yeah, because I do the scoop of, scoop of the green stuff, yep. warm water, and okay. then half a lemon, and then I down it. Interesting. See, mine requires eight ounces of water. With, mm-hmm. with it. But what I do is I do four ounces of water and then I do four ounces of Gatorade because it tastes like sewer water to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I, I do four ounces of Gatorade with it to give it some taste and then I, I slug it down. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, that stuff, I wish it tasted better. Mine's not yeah. too bad. It has a little bit of uh, cinnamon to it, but... Oh, well, that's not bad. Mm-hmm. But the lemon juice kind of cuts out the grass flavor. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, my, my dad does apple juice. Okay. Yeah, which is interesting. That's that's interesting. Mm-hmm. But there's only in the kind I have, I'm not going to advertise them because they don't advertise here. Um, they do a chocolate and a tart cherry flavor. Oh, okay. So with the chocolate, I mean, there's not, 
it's not too much you can mix with it. So, but the chocolate is the best tasting flavor, right? Okay. Yeah. So I, I get white cherry Gatorade and I have like a chocolate cherry, like okay. little smooth. It's not really a smoothie because it's gritty. I, I, right. I a cher- chocolate cherry gritty every morning. Right. Yeah. No, mine doesn't come in that kind of flavor. It's, okay. It's like a green grass flavor. <laughs> Ew. Uh. It's green looking and it's, yeah. it tastes, it tastes healthy. <laughs> mm. so, <laughs> I bet it does. Uh, lemon juice. Yeah, I, I see where lemon. Yeah, so lemon yeah. would would cut out the grassy flavor. Yeah, yeah, just slam it. I gotcha. I gotcha. So I I do my strawberries. I get my eggs in. I get my my grass in. My, my grass, <laughs> my uh, my greens in, and um, you know trying to live healthier. And as a result, uh, after my ablation surgery, my heart is running at maximum capacity as as much as it can with uh, what the doctors diagnosed with congestive heart failure. Although my Again, I'm getting into specifics, but my ejection fraction and everything is still in the in the mid 50s, so I'm still good. Okay. So, with that, mm-hmm. my little buddy Wicket, um, he's not your typical chipmunk. You know, typical chipmunks run around; they they gather food all day, and they're happy little guys, and they they do their thing, right? You know, mm-hmm. and you could train a chipmunk. You can train a chipmunk to to eat out of your hand, or you can train a chipmunk to call you know come come when you call them you can you can name them you can you can do whatever you can do lots of things with chipmunks my chipmunk's a little different okay and and i i i pose the question do you believe wild animals have souls and the reason i i pose this question is this um growing up i was raised catholic okay and I was given when I when I when the question was asked in Sunday school, do you believe wild animals have souls or or you know, do wild animals have souls? I was once told no. Oh. And this came up in Sunday school. And no, they don't have souls. And that bothered me. Because I thought, well, how does my dog Tippy not have a soul? Mm-hmm. You know? And there was an answer that was given, and I won't give the answer here, but it, it bothered me, okay? And I, I later chose not to believe that based on things that I saw from my dog, okay? Um, and then I was told later that, well, it doesn't pertain to pets. It pertains to wild animals out in the wild. But then you see things, you know, from deer, and you see things from other animals that you'd think, well, that's not true. When you see things from other animals out in the wild, you choose to think that, you know, that there's got to be something to that. Mm-hmm. You know, that those wild animals probably do have a soul. Even though they have base instincts and they act on those base instincts like we all do, um, I choose to think that they also have souls as well, right? You would think? Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, I would think all creatures, whether it be human or animals, would have a soul. Sure, sure. So, Wicket is doing something that is a little alarming, Mally. And I'll describe it for our audience. And I'm going to put the picture up on our blog at darknessradioshow.com. And you can go look at this and tell me what you see. Now, I want skeptics out there to weigh in as well as believers. And the bigger the skeptic, the better. I want you to tear this apart, please. 
because I, I, I want to know what you think. And I know one of the answers already, and I'll even give it to you. So Wicked and I are out this morning, and of course, I'm having my strawberries. I give him little pieces of strawberries. And by the way, Mally, Wicked loves strawberries. <laughs> He'll take a little piece of strawberry, and I'll, I'll, I'll post a picture of Wicked gnawing away on a strawberry. Mm-hmm. It's very cute. So I, I cut up a, a strawberries into eighths, a big strawberry into an eighth, and he'll take an eighth of a piece and he'll gnaw away at his little strawberry and he'll finish it all the way down to nothing. Well, he gets done with a piece of strawberry and he's kind of laying out and he lays out like a puppy dog sometimes because mm-hmm. he's just chill. And he's laying out and he's looking out at the neighborhood and all of a sudden he'll turn to his right and lay down. Like, like a little dog, like a little, you know, like a little hound. And he'll face the siding of my house. And it's the same spot every time. Now, he's not looking at his den, the entrance to his den, okay? Mm-hmm. He's looking at the siding, and he zones out. And then you'll see his little lips moving occasionally. They'll, like, move, and then they'll stop. And they'll mm-hmm. move and then they'll stop. But his eyes never blink. He's just staring in one spot. Almost like he's praying. Now, I at times when I've seen him do this, I go, Wicket, what are you looking at, buddy? What do you see? What are you looking at? What's over there? He doesn't look at me when I talk to him. Now, normally when I talk to him, he'll look over at me. Mm-hmm. And he'll kind of look at me like, boy, are you weird? Or he'll look at me acknowledging me. Or he'll look at me like, hey, do you got any more almonds? Or whatever it is, you know, that he's looking at me for. So it's not like he's looking at his shadow. No. Thinking it's another Thinking chipmunk. it's, right, another chipmunk or mm-hmm. anything like that. In fact, in the picture you'll see, there's no sun casting behind him or any shadow on the siding. In fact, it's just the color of the siding, the yellow siding. Mm-hmm. Yet he was, and again, you're going to say, well, where's the video, Tim? The next time this happens, I'm going to shoot video and put it up. But he's looking at the siding now. He's just looking. And he's looking, and he's looking. And this went on for a couple of minutes. This wasn't just he looked for about 20 seconds and then looked away. See, I would have started thinking he was having a seizure. I would have, like, started to get nervous. If he's, like, staring and then his mouth is moving, mm-hmm. I would think that he was just having, like, a a little mini mini seizure or something. So I would have started to get worried. Right? Or maybe he ate a poisonous mushroom or... He maybe, you know, again, I have like, I have, you know, we all have like an, the active guys that come mm-hmm. out. Like maybe he got a hold of some poisonous bait and he right. ate it mm-hmm. and, and, you know, he's, he's going into a convulsion. No, he's just, he's, and, and he does this quite often. It's like he's looking at the siding and he's praying. Or he's talking to his chipmunk god, whoever it is, he's do- whatever he's doing, Mally. <laughs> chipmunk praying to the side. I don't know. Or he's seeing God or he's seeing, I don't know, maybe chipmunk Jesus. I don't know. Whoever it is, he's having a small conversation and then he's done. After three minutes, he's done. He gets up. 
he goes and does his thing. He goes over, gets more seeds, and he's running seeds back and forth to his chipmunk den. It is the weirdest thing ever. Now, Mally, I've yeah. sent you the picture. Right. I want you to take a look at it real quick. What okay, do you see? Hold on just a second here. Mm-hmm. 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 You sent it messenger, right? Yeah, I sent it to your messenger. Yep. Oop, wrong button. Oop. Yep, I sent you a picture of Wicket just sitting there. And he's and as you can see, he's just he's just laying there. He's got his little tail curled up. Yeah. There's no you don't see any sun. He's not looking mm-hmm. at his shadow. He's just sitting there on the edge of the step. Staring at the wall. Staring at the wall. Huh. Very odd. Yeah. He's not looking at anything. Right. Yeah. Well, it's definitely interesting. He's just chill as can be. Mm-hmm. And you say he just does it for a few minutes? Yeah, he does it for a few minutes. He just sits there and... And then he'll, you'll see his mouth move every once in a while and just... You know, and and it's now see chipmunks, and I should explain this to our audience. Chipmunks have a bit of a chirp, and they chirp when they're mating. Okay, mm-hmm. and he's a male. I know this because they were mating about two weeks ago, and the way that chip, male chipmunks work is they <laughs> they're very pimpish like this. They uh, the males just chirp and they wait for a female to respond, and then they go get some. <laughs> <laughs> and then they hit it and quit it and they go back to their den. Gotcha. Yeah, they don't they don't play daddy or anything like that. Um so he just was hollering from the garage one day. <laughs> Cuz the, the acoustics are better in there, I guess. Um so yeah, he just chirped all day long and then, you know, went out and got some. <laughs> but he doesn't he wasn't chirping or anything like that. He was moving his mouth. Hmm. Like he was whispering. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I wonder if you could ask like a zoologist or some somebody that would have experience with that. I'm thinking about calling down to the U of M. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not going to spend too much more time on this. I just, uh, I just want someone out there who's listening in the audience who may be an animal expert, someone who's a skeptic, um someone who might have some expertise in this deal just to tear it apart mm-hmm. just to uh you know or to see if they've experienced it or yeah maybe you have chipmunks in your own yard who do the same thing i don't know is it more common than than yeah. you would think yeah does this happen in your own yard do you have chipmunks that just lay down in a downward dog pose because <laughs> <laughs> it almost looks like when you look at the picture mel mm-hmm doesn't it look like he's, I mean, other than it looks like he's, he looks like a doggy who's laying down. Because that looks like an odd pose for a chipmunk too, doesn't it? Uh, to be honest, I've never really. <laughs> You've never seen a chipmunk lay down? Yeah. Chipmunks lay down. We don't really have them here. We more have squirrels than anything else. Well, a chipmunk is a, is part of the squirrel family. They're, they're just smaller squirrels. Right. Yeah. But, um. Yeah, he just, uh, he's kind of in a, I've, to be honest with you, I've had other chipmunks and I've never seen them lay in this position. Hmm. But he's just kind of laying down like a like a little puppy dog. He's laying on his belly 
And it almost looks like a prayer position. He's got his little paws out, his front paws out, and he's... It looks like he's, for lack of a better term, he looks like he's praying to Allah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how to put it. But yeah. yeah, it's just bizarre. I don't know. So that's my little buddy Wicket. I don't know. Love him to death. That's my little guy. But I don't know. He, I, I, I love him for who he is. But that's, <laughs> you know, we accept, we accept, uh, we accept everybody for who they are and that's i accept my little chipmunk for who he is but it's uh yeah he's a he's a strange one that's for sure <laughs> and he's got a he's got a strange guy who throws him almonds and strawberries too so there you go oh. So that's that. Let's get into today's program, shall we? We spent enough time on this. Uh, Congress is doubling down, Mally, on explosive claims of illegal UFO retrieval programs. That's right. Now we've got senators involved, and it's getting nuts over there on Capitol Hill. Ask June 26th about allegations of secret UFO retrieval and reverse engineer programs. Senate Intelligence Committee Vice Chairman Marco Rubio made several stunning statements. In an exclusive interview, Rubio told News Nation Washington correspondent Joe Khalil that multiple individuals with very high clearance and high positions within our government have come forward to share firsthand UFO-related claims beyond the realm of what the Senate Intelligence Committee has ever dealt with. Rubio's comments provide context for a bipartisan provision adopted unanimously by the Senate Intelligence Committee, which would immediately halt funding for any secret government or contractor efforts to retrieve and reverse engineer craft of non-Earth or exotic origin. The extraordinary language added to the Senate version of the Intelligence Authorization Bill mirrors and adds significant credibility to a whistleblower's recent stunning allegations that a clandestine decades-long effort to recover, analyze, and exploit objects of non-human origin has been operating illegally without congressional oversight. Additionally, the bill instructs individuals with knowledge of such activities to disclose all relevant information and grants illegal immunity if the information is reported appropriately within a defined time frame. Moreover, nearly 20 pages of the legislation appear to directly address recent events by enhancing a raft of, of legal, not illegal, but of legal protections for whistleblowers while also permitting such individuals to contact Congress directly. Research or researcher and congressional experts Douglas Johnson first reported on and analyzed the remarkable bill language, which, if it passes the House, could become law this calendar year. Beyond the Senate Intelligence Committee, the powerful investigative body that oversees the nation's intelligence agencies found the aforementioned whistleblowers' allegations that secret UFO-related programs are illegally withheld from Congress to be credible and urgent. That's in quotes. Moreover, according to two reports, multiple military intelligence and contractor officials corroborated claims that the U.S. government or private companies possess multiple craft of possible non-human origin. Importantly, this intelligence bill is not the first instance of Congress addressing the possible existence of surreptitious UFO retrieval and reverse engineer programs 
or engineering programs. The 2023 National Defense Authorization Act, signed into law by President Joe Biden last December, established robust whistleblower protections for individuals with knowledge of secret UFO programs engaged in material retrieval, material analysis, reverse engineering, and research and development. But the Senate Intelligence Committee's legislation goes significantly further than previous laws. If enacted as drafted, the legislation would immediately halt funding for any secret unreported programs that engage in analyzing retrieved UFOs for the purpose of determining properties, material composition, method of manufacture, origin, characteristics, usage and application, performance, operation modalities, or reverse engineering of such craft or component technology. At the same time, the legislation would cease funding for any personnel engaged in capturing, recovering, and securing UFOs or pieces and components of such craft. Funding would also be cut for the development of propulsion technology or aerospace craft that uses propulsion technology systems or subsystems that is based on or derived from or inspired by inspection, analysis, or reverse engineering of recovered UFOs or materials. Perhaps more importantly, the bill language prohibits legal prosecution of individuals with knowledge of surreptitious retrieval and reverse engineering of non-human craft. To avoid legal jeopardy, such individuals would have two months after passage of the legislation to inform the director of the Pentagon's new UFO analysis office of the existence of relevant UFO-related information. These individuals would then have six months to turn over all such material and information, as well as a comprehensive list of all non-Earth origin or exotic UFO material. Importantly, the Senate Intelligence Committee's legislation contains a sense of Congress provision, uh, which such resolutions typically convey a particular message from either the House or the Senate, or in this case, from Congress as a whole. The sense of Congress is that any illegally hidden craft or of non-Earth or exotic origin must be brought out of the shadows for broader scientific and industrial analysis. In particular, the goal of the legislation is to avoid technology stovepipes, which is a reference to the non-sharing of information due to excessive secrecy and compartmentalization and to integrate any recovered exotic technology into the nation's broader industrial base. The sense of Congress provision aligns closely with concerns expressed by multiple officials that extraordinary secrecy prevents the robust scientific analysis required to make sense of the advanced non-human craft allegedly retrieved in recent decades. Of note, there are indications that at least one law enforcement entity is engaged in a sweeping investigation of the U.S. government's uh, handling of UFOs. Freedom of Information Act requests are one of the few pathways through which private citizens can obtain government information on UFOs. Official documents and other data released under FOIA are frequently redacted to prevent the release of classified information. Importantly, uh, each redaction must be grounded in a legal justification for why the relevant information is withheld. Recently, the U.S. government denied in full five FOIA requests encompassing a broad range of UFO-related topics. In a striking departure from 
previous practice, the government denied the request on the grounds that release of the information may interfere with enforcement proceedings and law enforcement investigations or prosecutions. The application of such novel justifications for withholding government UFO information is circumstantial evidence that a law enforcement entity, such as the Department of Defense Office of the Inspector General, is engaged in a broad and possibly criminal investigation of the U.S. government's involvement with UFOs. After all, what government oversight body explicitly charged with preventing unlawful activities would fail to initiate a sweeping investigation of extraordinary and seemingly credible allegations of illegality? Which is a great question. You know, Mel, Mm -hmm. what's interesting about this story is that it seems like one hand doesn't know what the other one's doing in Washington because with the story, they're stating that, well... You can't keep this stuff under wraps and keep it secret because if we don't know what's going on, then then it it uh, it seems like you know the rest of the country doesn't know what's going on, and then it's going to put other people in jeopardy and so on and so on and so forth. But the fact of the matter is, is some things need to stay top secret, right? Because if it doesn't stay top secret, then potentially we have enemies that could get a hold of it and use it against us. Um, at least that's the theory. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you feel about all this UFO secrecy stuff? Well, I want to know why it's being brought up now. Like, why wasn't it brought up like 20 years ago? Why wasn't it brought up in, you know, Congress, you know, have these bills be approved, signed, all that stuff. Like, why now? Well, that's a good question. I think now it's being brought up. Um, mainly, well, it, it could be argued it's being brought up now because we're coming up on another election cycle. Mm. And that this is a distraction for one reason or another. Um, distraction being the key, the key word here. Um, the other thing being, too, that... Maybe there's something else happening, i.e. other political reasons why this distraction is being thrown out there. Maybe there's something bigger happening that, you know, they want you to look over here why something else is, you know, drastically wrong. Mm -hmm. And again, we're not a political program, so for us to throw that out there, I mean, only only you can speculate in your own mind. Um, As far as the actual UFO problem i'll put it that way Mm -hmm. when we talk about disclosure and whether it's going to happen or not this is about as close as we're going to get i think i don't know when you talk about individual presidents and and them getting close to the truth i mean we're right on the precipice right now you know Mm -hmm. when you talk about the promise of certain tidbits of information coming out because right now we're talking about reverse engineering of technology and what it's being used for. And you have one whistleblower that comes forward and says, we have exotic UFO material of non earth origin and the government is using it. Mm -hmm. And this is just based on hearsay. There's no actual material that's been shown 
Nobody has any of it in their possession. There's no physical evidence to, to go on. Mm-hmm. Yet everyone's in a tizzy because obviously it's true. Otherwise, why are we overturning the apple cart? Mm-hmm. You know, um, why do you suppose there's such a violent reaction to it? Yeah, I don't know. It, it seems to me if if there weren't if it weren't true that that this would get swept under the rug. Um, I think it's because they say that that this Martin Grush is beyond reproach that that he is such a credible witness mm-hmm. that that there is such a worry about what it is he has to say. I don't know. You know, it, to me, it worries me that there's, there's two different camps here. There's the camp in Congress that doesn't really know what's going on. And it seems that that's a popular, that's a popular theme here. Congress, mm-hmm. Congress really doesn't know what's going on. And then you have the, and, and, and Jason Offit and I talked about this uh, last week. And then you have the long-time employees or long-term employees that work for the government that do seem to know what's going on. Right. They, they're lifers. Um, they have tenure. And they truly know what's going on. And those are the people that have all the secrets. And why are the people with tenure not letting the people in Congress know what's going on? Because they're going to get voted out. You know, eventually their tenure, their term is going to come to an end. Right. And why should they get to know anyways? And it seems like in this story, they're trying to force the people with tenure to tell them what's going on. But why should you know if you're eventually, eventually your job's going to come to an end? Essentially, that's what they're saying. Um What's your thought on that? What should should people whose job eventually is going to come to an end get to know such secrets? I think they should. I think they should know. I mean, but, they represent they're supposed to represent the people, so they should know what's going on rather than cuz it's almost it almost seems like if they don't know what's going on, it's almost like they're a puppet from you know, from the people behind the scenes. But couldn't that person be manipulated by a foreign power to give up that secret? I mean, if, if they're only in for, say, six to eight years, right? couldn't, couldn't they be, be manipulated by a foreign power to try and get that secret? If it's, let's say it's reverse technology used for, like, say, defense purposes. We made a brand yeah. new weapon, okay? Mm-hmm. And I tell a senator, okay, and a senator finds out about this new weapon, but it's supposed to be top secret. Let's say I'm a, a Russian agent and I get a hold of the senator. And I use blackmail material to try and get this this uh, blueprint or this plan for this new weapon. If I have somebody who I can get to, who's only going to have that job for a certain amount of time, isn't that risky? I mean, I see that point, but then also then you're you're saying that the people that are in Congress that they're not. The ones that are in the forefront, I mean, then they're not trustworthy or you can't put your, because if you're assuming that they're going to be able to be bribable, then you're kind of saying they're incompetent. <laughs> like they're not going to do, if you, if you can't give them a secret and have them keep it, it's, 
it's like you can't have faith in them almost. I don't know how to how to. It's like in my head, I know what I'm thinking, but mm-hmm. to shut no, it I, out, it's kind of hard. But it's like I, if I can't trust this person to keep a secret, they're, that's not good. They're politicians. I don't think yeah. you can trust them. I, I mean, that's just that's just my opinion. They're politicians. You can't trust them. I mean, it's almost like they just have a need to know. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Well, well the, the, I, I guess that's my point. What is what is your need to know when it comes to state secrets? I mean, unless we're ready to, unless we're ready to release it to the general public, you know, if it's something that you're developing to keep to keep the state safe, right? Okay. Why does the public need to know? If it's something that's going to, I'll give you a perfect example, okay? Uh-huh. I feel like we're in some TV show. <laughs> you know what I mean? Where well, there's stuff going on in the background and well, the politicians don't know anything. <laughs> right. Well, Bruiser and I have talked about this before. When, when you look it up online, mm-hmm. and I don't know if you know this or not, but but our north and south borders are surrounded by China. Were you aware that about it? Were you aware of that? That that China has China has troops on the northern border border on in Canada. They're, 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 I was not aware of that. You weren't aware of that. Okay. No. And it's not a conspiracy theory. Right. If you if you look it up, Canada has sold land in which China has established military bases all along the Canadian uh, U.S. border. Okay. So they have military, I, I shouldn't say bases, they're not bases, they're military outposts, essentially. Okay. So China is lined up on the Canadian U.S. border. They also, on the southernmost border, have teamed up with MS-13 and other Mexican gangs, and they push against our southern border. And they test our southern border to see how ready we are on our southern border. With that knowledge, Mm -hmm. are we really knowing that that China tests us on a on a almost daily basis? Uh Uh-huh. Would you, as we're developing weapons? And, and getting ready, knowing that we have a potential enemy knocking on our door. Right. Would you turn knowledge of, a, even through legislation, would you turn knowledge of a potential weapon over to a, a, a member of Congress who, let's face it, they, they fight in the media all day long. They can't right. keep their mouth shut. True. I wouldn't. No, when you say it like that, no, not at all. No. I wouldn't at all. That's just me, though. You know, I, in order mm-hmm. to to keep to keep our nation safe, I wouldn't do that. But it is what it is. Let's move on, shall we? Yes. <laughs> no, no. I just uh, I, I didn't mean to. Now shut, you freak me out. I didn't mean to to <laughs> shut down the argument, but that's to me. It no, just, I didn't think it was an argument, and I agree with you one hundred percent. I just now I got my brain thinking. 
Yeah, it, it just, to me, it, it doesn't seem like to say, well, you need to tell us what you have. Right. Well, not necessarily. Um, if you have, if you have had something of non-human origin, or if you've, if you've come across that, sure, that's one thing. Have you reverse engineered it for weapons? I don't need to know that. Not necessarily right now. Yeah. And what type of weapons have you made out of it? I don't know that I need to know that either. Because if you tell us that, then you've told our enemies that. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's an interesting topic. Maybe mm -hmm. one we'll address down the line, but we'll see. Uh, another UFO was spotted flying over Las Vegas. If you remember, Mally, we had the family that had the aliens land in their backyard. Yes. And the Las Vegas police come out. This is weeks after that family claimed that 10-foot aliens with large, shiny eyes were spotted in their backyard, and police dash cam footage filmed strange lights crashing from the sky. Another unidentified object in the sky has been spotted flying over Las Vegas. Two beams of light can be seen in the sky hovering next to one another in the new clip that was posted on social media. It was filmed on Wednesday, June 22nd at 10.30 p.m. over Las Vegas. The unidentified objects were in the sky for 20 minutes straight, according to the person who filmed it. A second local resident then posted an image of their view from Thursday night showing two interlocking white circular beams of light in the sky. And actually, it's, it's a pretty interesting video. Uh, some people online speculated that it could have been the planet Venus lighting up the sky, but others claim that it might have been something else considering the recent activity in Las Vegas. Over the weekend, a green fireball believed to be a meteor was spotted falling from the sky by residents in San Diego, Tucson, and Las Vegas. Meanwhile, the Las Vegas UFO mystery has deepened after police installed high-tech cameras outside the home where residents reported seeing 10-foot aliens with large, shiny eyes in their backyard. Doug Papa, a former police officer who has been following the story of the mysterious object falling from the sky from April 30th, said it baffled him why the Las Vegas Metro Police Department placed surveillance cameras outside. He interviewed the family who made the call and told them, and they told him that the cops installed the cameras to protect them from UFO fanatics who might bother them. Despite being skeptical, Papa, who is a podcaster, uh, said he now believes the family is somewhat credible. A Vegas officer's body camera picked up the object at about 11.50 p.m. on April 30th after a resident reported something 100% not human on their property, local TV channel 8 News Now reported. Uh, the footage shows a bright blue ball of light traveling through the dark sky at uh, speed Approximately 39 minutes after the first call, another resident contacted 911 saying that there were two unknown entities in his backyard after he saw an object fall from the sky. There's like an eight-foot person beside it and another one inside us, and it has big eyes and it's looking at us and it's still there, the homeowner told police in audio obtained by the TV channel during the initial 911 phone call. About the alleged UFO and alien sighting, the caller said, In my backyard, I swear to God, this is not a joke. This is actually, we're terrified. 
They're very large, so like 8 foot, 9 foot, 10 foot. They look like aliens to us. Big eyes. They have big eyes. Like, I can't explain it. And big mouth. They're shiny eyes, and they're not human. They're 100% not human. And again, we've recapped that story quite a bit here on the show. Um, The area of the alleged sighting was searched and the witnesses interviewed, but no new information was found as far as that story goes. So a second sighting, Mel. And mm-hmm. the um, I can show you a picture, Mally, between you and I of what these two lights looked like in the sky in the second sighting. And that's kind of what it looked like right okay. there. So that's, that's quite significant. And that's yeah. from quite a ways away. Mm-hmm. I wonder why it's all happening in Las Vegas. That's a good question. I don't know. Like I, why that area right now? A very good question. You know what? It, Nevada's never been any stranger to uh, sightings, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't know. It's a, it's a very good question. Very good question indeed. I, I have no answers. No answers. I have another eerie video, by the way, another UFO video, which shows a father and son spotting a UFO with vapor around it, uh, drifting over a busy highway in broad daylight. Interesting. A father had to hit his brakes and pull out his camera after seeing a mysterious large white object flashing across the skyline. The eerie video of the drifting shape has left many speculating about what the object was and where it came from. This uh, was in Long Island. Okay. Yeah. The Long Island resident who identified himself as JB shared video with local radio station WCBS 880 He said that he was driving with his son when he realized the object in the sky was not just a cloud. It was just something that was so unusual you had to just stop and look, he said, adding that other people also stopped their cars to get a better look at the odd sight. JB said that he continued following the object in his car. At one point, he said he saw a piece of it fall off. Oh, yeah. That's not good. (laughs) Evidently, that UFO was not well built. I yeah, guess. Yeah. Yeah. J- yes, a junker. Yeah. Yes, a junker. A UFO junker. <laughs> uh, my first reaction was a spy balloon because it looked like a sophisticated thing, he said, of what it could have been. According to JB, the object had a few unusual qualities that were difficult to explain. It wasn't somebody's drone that somebody just made in their backyard. He went on to say this thing had like transparency, like some kind of vapor around it that it fell or that it that fell off a little piece of it, like floating, he went on to say. Other people offered their unique theories as to what the object might be. It looks like some kind of satellite taking pictures because it, it's kind of low, one man said. So I would assume it's doing some kind of recording, another person said. Some people thought that the object could be an alien spacecraft, while others were pretty certain it was just a large garbage bag floating in the sky. A large garbage bag floating in the sky. Man. Wasn't that their excuse on one of the other stories you read? I think like last week they said, oh, it could possibly be a garbage bag. I think so. Yeah. 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 That's an odd, an odd thing to describe. Right. But yeah. Uh, the Suffolk Police Department said it didn't receive any calls about the object, by the way. No large, large garbage bags in the skies sighted. So there you go. 
Uh, one more story before we go to break here. And this having to do with time dilation experiments. They're saying um, it could upend Einstein and explain dark matter in, a, in an expanding universe at that. In an effort to explain the accelerating expansion of the universe as well as the nature of dark matter, researchers have zeroed in on an upcoming set of experiments designed to measure time dilation. According to researchers behind the pioneering approach, these time dilation experiments should either add support to Albert Einstein's theory of general relativity and the theories of Leonard Euler uh, regarding the movement of celestial objects or open the door to a whole new understanding of time and matter. When astronomers and cosmologists try to calculate things like the movement of galaxies or star clusters in the depths of the cosmos, they typically rely on two sets of equations. The first equations were created by the Swiss mathematician, physicist, and astronomer Leonard Euler back in Euler, Euler, um, <laughs> back in the 1700s and were surprisingly accurate at explaining what little astronomers of the time could observe about the movement of massive objects beyond our solar system. Those equations, which bear Euler's name, are still in use today. Equally significant was the work by famed scientist Albert Einstein, whose theory of relativity completely rewrote the book on physics, while more or less adding significant support for the work of or by Euler. Uh, however, two relatively recent discoveries have brought the efficacy of Euler and Einstein into question, including dark matter and the accelerated expansion of the universe. Now, a team of researchers say they've developed a first-of-its-kind set of experiments around the concept of time dilation that they say should lend support for Einstein and Euler while explaining those two mysterious phenomena or offer a new set of equations that upend those pieces of seminal work. Uh, to explain it a little better, the problem is that current cosmological data does not allow us to differentiate between a theory that breaks Einstein's equation and one that breaks Euler's equation, explains Camille Bonvin, who is associate professor in the Department of Theoretical Physics at the University of Geneva, who is the lead author on the proposed study, which is published in the journal Nature Astronomy. This is what we demonstrate in our study. We also present a mathematical method for solving this problem, which we'll go through in detail right now. No, I'm kidding, Mally. We're not going to do that. <laughs> uh, along with study co-author Levon Pagosian, a professor in the Department of Physics at Simon Fraser University in Canada, Bonvin says that some critical new tools coming online in the next few years will allow them to do something no one's been able to do before, measure the effects of time dilation to either add support for or against Einstein and Euler. To conduct those experiments in time dilation, Bonvin and Pagosian are planning to use a specific set of astronomical tools. One of those systems is the Dark Energy spectr Spectroscopic Instrument, or the DESI which is also followed up by a Lucy. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, which began its five-year mission in 2021 in Arizona and is already receiving and processing data. The second is the Euclid Space Telescope, which will be launched in July of 2023 by the European Space Agency, meaning it is almost ready to start analyzing data. The third tool, however, is the International SCA, 
followed by the international, um, uh, you've got ska, and then you've, of course, got uh, reggae, the international reggae music. Uh, that, no, I'm kidding. Uh, the ska, that, that fell flat. Thank you, Mally. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what me do to that? Ba, boom, boom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I need one of. Oh, I don't have it. Uh, I don't have it up here. That's what she said. Um, you need one of these. Yeah, one of there these. you go. Yeah, one of those. Um, yeah, the International Scar Giant Radio Telescope Project in South Africa and Australia, which is still under construction and will not begin observations until sometime in 2028 or 2029. Fortunately, the research team says they can begin their work now with the first two tools and then complement their findings with SCA once it is up and working. Uh, so there you go. Those tools will help them uh, complete their theory. Okay. There you go. Uh, we're going to take our break, Mally. When we come back, of course, we've got AI stories this week. Okay. You know we would. Mm -hmm. uh, the pioneer of AI, Jeffrey Hinton, isn't convinced good AI will triumph over bad AI. You know we're going to go negative with the AI stories. It's going to happen. The first fully AI-generated drug enters clinical trials. Will it kill you? Eh, probably. <laughs> <laughs> we'll tell you whether it's a, a good witch or a bad witch. Uh, AI gets muscles. We'll talk to you about that, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk about things other than AI, of course. Today, we're gonna tell you about uh, why the dead keep coming back, Mally. That's gonna okay. be one of the stories we'll talk about. Of course, we'll talk about the Walking Dead as long as we're talking about dead, and we'll talk about Daryl Dixon and why it will be a completely different world, Mally, and why maybe you should start checking out the Walking Dead again. Mm. We'll talk about some entertainment. Um, and also, towards the end of the program today, we're going to talk about uh, a rare horse. We're going to talk about some animals today. We started with animals. We'll end with animals. And we'll talk about a rare horse. Um, and we're going to get into some entertainment uh, today as well. We talked about The Walking Dead. But we're going to talk comics for a little bit today at the end of the program. So... A little bit of entertainment for you geeks today as we end the program. How's Very that cool. There you go. A little bit of different supernatural news on a 4th of July edition. Uh, Mally Fox and Tim Dennis with you on Supernatural News and Perisher today on Darkness Radio. Welcome back to the best in paranormal podcasting. This is Darkness Radio. I'm your host, Tim Dennis. With me is Mally Fox, the co-hostess with the mostess. And of course, Mal, if we're doing supernatural news, we've also got to do stories about AI. <laughs> I mean, I get them every week from our listeners. Yeah. And I got this story from one of our listeners as well. AI pioneer Jeffrey Hinton isn't convinced that good AI will triumph over bad AI. <laughs> of course, it's doom and gloom when we talk about AI, Mally. <laughs> the Apparently. Yes. Yeah, we can't have a happy ending when it comes to AI. Otherwise, all those Terminator movies wouldn't make sense. Mm, yeah. No, <laughs> it wouldn't. <laughs> it wouldn't. Uh, the godfather of AI doesn't share the industry's optimism. 
Of course, the industry is telling us that AI is a good thing, Mally, that AI is going to change our life for the better. Because that's how it always starts out before mass chaos. That's right. Mass chaos and major killings. That, mm -hmm. uh, that's major killings, I think. Wasn't that a TV show in the 70s? <laughs> I love that show. Uh, University of Toronto professor Jeffrey Hinton, often called the godfather of AI for his pioneering research on neural networks, recently became the industry's unofficial watchdog, in case you didn't know. He quit working at Google this spring to more freely critique the field that he helped pioneer. He saw the recent surge in generative AIs like ChatGPT and BigChat as signs of unchecked and potentially dangerous acceleration in development. Google, meanwhile, was seemingly giving up its previous restraint as it's chased competitors with products like its Bard chatbot. At this week's Collision Conference in Toronto, Hinton expanded his concern while companies were touting AI as a solution to everything from clinching a lease to shipping goods, or to shipping goods, or to shipping goods, I'm just putting the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable here, Mally. Uh, Hinton was sounding the alarm. He isn't convinced good AI will merge victorious over the bad variety, and he believes the ethical adoption of AI may come at a steep cost. Hinton contended that AI was only as good as the people who made it and that bad tech could still win out. I'm not convinced that a good AI that is trying to stop bad AI could get control, he explained. It might be difficult to stop the military-industrial complex from producing battle robots, for instance. He says companies and armies might love wars where the casualties are machines that can easily be replaced. And while Hinton believes that large language models, trained AI that produces human-like text, like OpenAI's GPT-4, could lead to huge increases in productivity, he is concerned that the ruling class might simply exploit this to enrich themselves, widening an already large wealth gap. It would make the rich richer and the poor poorer, Hinton said. Hinton has also reiterated his much-publicized view that AI could pose an ex existential risk to humanity. If artificial intelligence becomes smarter than humans, there's no guarantee that people will remain in charge. We're in trouble. He goes on to say, if AI decides that taking control is necessary to achieve its goals. Hinton said to him, the threats are not just science fiction. They have to be taken seriously. He worries that society would only rein in killer robots after it had a chance to see just how awful they truly were. There are plenty of existing problems, Hinton added. He argues that bias and discrimination remain issues as skewed AI training data can produce unfair results. Algorithms likewise create echo chambers that reinforce misinformation and mental health issues. Hinton also worries about AI spreading misinformation beyond those chambers. He isn't sure if it's possible to catch every bogus claim even though it's important to mark everything fake as fake. This isn't to say that Hinton despairs over AI's impact, although he warns that healthy uses of the technology might come at a price, and a high price at that. Humans might have to conduct empirical work into understanding how AI could go wrong and how to prevent it from resting control. 
It's already doable to correct biases, he added. A large language model, AI, might put an end to echo chambers, but Hinton sees changes in company policies as being particularly important. The professor didn't mince words in his answer to questions about people losing their jobs, though, through automation. He feels that socialism, and that's in quotes, is needed to address inequality and that people could hedge against joblessness by taking up careers that could change with the times, like plumbing. That's right, Mally. He said plumbing. (laughs) I don't want to be a plumber, Mally. Who does? (laughs) I like how you put that. Who does? And no, he isn't kidding when he says plumbing. Uh, effectively, society might have to make broad changes to adapt to AI. He's, he goes on and on about uh, how the industry is optimistic. I don't know how optimistic I can be with this article, though, so we're going to move on. Um, the first fully AI-generated drug has entered clinical trials, Mal, and is in human patients. Um, how, how enthusiastic are you about taking a drug made by AI? Uh, not very. I figure if you take human out of the equation, humans, mm-hmm. that's not good. I don't if think it's it, all AI. Uh. Yeah, I don't think it could be. Well, I don't know. You know, it, I was talking to somebody the other day about the percentage of drugs that are actually made in America. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm going to bring up that Chinese thing. It's not like I'm biased against the Chinese, but did you know that the majority of your prescription drugs are not made here in America? I figured that. And there's a reason why, you know, when the supply chain broke down in COVID, there were a lot of things Mm -hmm. that we were having a hard time getting. Antibiotics were one of them. Mm -hmm. Big silence. (laughs) Well, no, Um, I was watching you, like, nod. (laughs) um, Sorry, I forgot we're on radio. (laughs) That's right, yeah. Non-verbal stuff doesn't work. That's right, that's right. (laughs) So when when we were having a problem with antibiotics for a short time, Uh it brought up the argument with a lot of people that we need to start making more things here. Mm -hmm. The only problem is we don't have skilled labor to do that. And to pay that skilled labor, you need to pay a higher wage, which Mm -hmm. a lot of companies don't want to do because then you can't pay your CEOs big money. Right. And have their private planes and all that good stuff. That's right. So then then we get a catch-22 going. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, in silico medicine, and here's here's the other thing, is if you have AI making medicines, well, then all of a sudden you can bring things back to the States but you don't have human labor making making medic medication. Mm-hmm. But it turns out that this company that's making the AI meds are, is not in the States. Believe it or not, it's over in Hong Kong. In mm-hmm. Silico Medicine is a Hong Kong-based biotech startup with more than $400 million in funding. That's right, I said $400 million in funding. Created the drug as a treatment for... This almost sounds made up. Idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, which is a chronic lung disease. It is the first fully generative AI drug to reach human clinical trials and specifically phase two trials with patients. Alex Javaronikov, founder and CEO of Insilico Medicine, told CNBC. 
The discovery process for the new drug began in 2020, so it's been in trials for quite some time. The first drug fully generated by AI entered clinical trials with human patients this week. And Silico Medicine, a Hong Kong-based biotech startup with more than $400 million in funding, created the drug INS018 underscore 055. Ask for it by name, Mally. <laughs> Uh, as a treatment for idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. The condition, which has increased in prevalence in recent decades, currently affects about 100,000 people in the U.S. and can lead to death within two to five years if untreated. Mm. Yikes. It is the first fully generative AI drug to reach human clinical trials and specifically phase two trials with patients. That according to Javronikov... That's an interesting last name. Founder and CEO of Insilico Medicine. While there are other AI-designed drugs and trials, ours is the first drug with both a novel AI-discovered target and a novel AI-generated design. The discovery process for the new drug began in 2020 with hopes to create a moonshot medicine to overcome challenges with current treatments for the condition, which mostly focus on slowing progression and can cause uncomfortable side effects. Javronikov went on to say he added that in silico has chosen to focus on IPF in part because of the conditions implication in aging, but the company has two other drugs partially generated by AI in the clinical stage. One is a COVID-19 drug in phase one clinical trials. The other is a cancer drug, specifically a USP one inhibitor for the treatment of solid tumors that recently received FDA approval to initiate clinical trials. That's, those are two interesting drugs. I'll give it that. Mm -hmm. um, when this company was launched, we were focused on algorithms, developing the technology that would discover and design new molecules, Javronikov went on to say. I never imagined in those early days that I would be taking my own AI drugs into clinical trials with patients, but we realized that in order to validate our AI platform, we needed to not only design a new drug for our new target, but bring it to clinical trials to prove that our technology worked. The IPF drug's current study is a randomized double-blind placebo-controlled trial taking place over 12 weeks in China. And Insilico has plans to, do, uh, to expand the testing population to 60 subjects at 40 sites in the U.S. and China. If the current phase two study is successful, it will go on to another study with a larger cohort and then potentially reach phase three studies and hundreds of participants. Not bad. Right. Uh, we expect to have results from the current phase two trial next year. Javronikov went on to say... Uh, adding that it's difficult to predict exact timing for future phases, especially since the disease is r relatively rare and patients must fulfill specific criteria. He added, we're optimistic that this drug will be ready for market and reach patients who may benefit from it in the next few years. Interesting. Interesting, mm -hmm. that's for sure. I don't know, AI drugs. At least there's a good use for it. Right. Yeah, I'll give it that. Meanwhile, Mally, meanwhile, new ferroelectric material could give robots muscles. Wait, what? <laughs> A new ferroelectric material okay. could give robots muscles. All right. Which means robots are just going to pummel the shit out of you. 
It'll be like that. What was that game with like the red robot and the blue robot? And like they would punch each other. Oh, Rock'em Sock'em Robots. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. So Rock'em Sock'em Robots are coming to a... I almost said to a theater near you. <laughs> to an area near you to pummel the shit out of you. I used the word shit twice in a relatively short amount of time. A new type of ferroelectric polymer that is exceptionally good at converting electrical energy into mechanical strains holds promise as a high-performance motion controller or actuator with great potential for applications in medical devices, advanced robotics, and precision positioning systems is about to happen, according to a team of international researchers led by Penn State. Figures it's a Big Ten school that's trying to do this to us. Um, Mechanical strain, how a material changes shape when force is applied is an important property for an actuator. I feel like I should get a virgin in here to explain this to us. Uh, Which is any material that will change or deform when an external force such as an electrical energy is applied. Traditionally, these actuator materials were rigid, but soft actuators... (laughs) I feel like I'm describing something else. Uh, Such as ferroelectric polymers display higher flexibility and environmental adaptability. In other words, we's making robot muscles. (laughs) Yep. Uh, A common application of a ferroelectric actuator is an inkjet printer, believe it or not, where electrical charge changes the shape of the actuator to precisely control the tiny nozzles that deposit ink on the paper to form text and images. If you need a reference point. Okay. Yeah. So why are they doing this? Uh, to make robots beat us up. Oh. Yeah. You think you could take a robot, Mally? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> no? Do you think the pugs could take a robot? <laughs> no? Yeah. Well, Is my pugs a- are dead. <laughs> oh, shoot. I'm sorry. <laughs> Do you have any dogs around there that could take a robot? Uh... Yes, Marla Hooch could. Okay, Marla Hooch could. All right. Well, keep that keep that dog around because <laughs> the really dangerous <laughs> robots are coming with muscles. <laughs> Just saying. Um, it doesn't say when robots with muscles are coming in this story. There's a lot of geek speaking here. Mm-hmm. Um, the last quote in here says, typically... This strain and force and ferroelectric materials are correlated with each other in an inverse relationship. There's a guy by the name of Wang who's quoted. Okay. Not a lot of people quote their Wang. (laughs) Just saying. Uh, Now we can integrate them into one material, said Wang. And we developed a new approach to drive it using the the Joule heating. That's right. (laughs) Wang is heating his Joule. Uh, I should probably fire off a rim shot, but I'm not going to. Uh, (laughs) Since the driving field is going to be much lower, less than 10%, this is why the new material can be used for many applications that require a low driving field to be effective, such as medical devices, optical devices, and soft robotics. Um, That's right. Wang's robot went soft. Oh, boy. Yeah. That'll do it for uh, the AI portion of our program. (laughs) On that note. (laughs) On that note. 
Let's talk about uh, someone whose robot didn't go soft. <laughs> um, why is it, Mally, that dead people keep waking up? Uh, I have no idea. I'm quite curious about this. I know. It seems like lately we're getting a lot of stories of uh, dead people waking up, but it's happening in other other countries. Is it because they're not embalming? So it's the because not every country embalms, correct? Correct. You don't have to. No, you don't have to. No. no. Um, a dead 49-year-old woman wakes up on her way to her own funeral. Yes, it happened again, folks. We're not talking about the same woman uh, over in, I think it was Venezuela. Was that mm -hmm. where it was? Or was it? Was it Venezuela? I'm trying to remember. Uh, the grieving family members of a woman presumed to be dead were left shocked after she suddenly woke up on her way to her funeral in Thailand. That's where we're going for this story. Did she at least stay alive? Because usually when they wake up, then they die shortly after. Yes. Again. The, woman who, the woman who woke up died a week later mm -hmm. uh, in South America. This 49-year-old woman supposedly died on thursday after returning home from the hospital you want her name <laughs> sure is it a tongue twister it's interesting okay i don't believe it's a real name but you you tell me you ready for this yep chata porn shrifonla oh yeah i'm gonna give you one of these it's a real name, Chataporn Shrifonla. Hmm. It's a real name. Well, I'm not doubting you. Yeah. I, maybe she was born in the 80s. Her mom was an 800 number telephone operator. Possibly. <laughs> Boy, are you leaving me hanging today? What's wrong well, with you, that lady? That one was kind of poor. Chat a porn, Shrifonla. Shrifonla? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You're going to get hate mail now from her? From her, yeah. Yeah, she's she's the one her who's going to Her family. Yeah. They probably listen. It's a beautiful name. Chat a porn. Chat a porn. Who names her kid Chat a Who looks at a little baby, a little tiny, beautiful baby and goes, I'm going to name her Chat a porn. Maybe to her it sounds beautiful. Chataporn? Hey, they did a study once, a long time ago, foreign language, and they said, out of all of these names, these words, what is the prettiest sounding? And they chose diarrhea. <laughs> so, there you go. Because <laughs> they all thought it sounded beautiful, not knowing what it meant. <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying she probably thought the chat of porn, free tree, whatever her name was. Free tree. No, it's <laughs> chat of porn, Shrifonla. Oh. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> she probably thought it was beautiful, so. Aw. Chat of porn. Shrifonla. Shrifonla. Beautiful. Just beautiful. <laughs> uh, yeah, 49, killed over dead. Mm. 
I shouldn't put it like that. That's so insensitive. Um, she was supposed she supposedly died on Thursday after returning home from the hospital where she was being treated for cancer. Oh, but only had a slim chance at survival. Shrifonla's mom told the U.S. Sun that uh, we were heartbroken to find out that she had died. The mother said the family quickly prepared for her funeral, arranging for the 49 year old to be cremated and buying a casket. How? Oh, thank like- God she woke up. Right. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh. So I just, yeah, I, you and I had the exact I didn't same know about thought. The cremation part. Yeah, Ooh. we just uh, had the exact same thought at the exact same time. Uh, she opened her eyes and gasped awake. Hopefully it was before she got, you know, right to that oh, part. Right? Good God, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Uh, she was immediately rushed to the hospital and remains under medical care. The spooky incident parallels a similar one in Ecuador. It wasn't, uh, that's right, it wasn't uh, Venezuela, it was Ecuador. Where a dead woman knocked on her coffin during her wake. Soon after, the 76-year-old died in the hospital. It was a week later. She died in the okay. hospital. Yeah. Yeah. So there oh you go. Oh, my. That, like, brings fear. <laughs> the thought. Right. Oh, my gosh. Of still being alive and then the cremation part. <laughs> it's just as bad as being buried alive. Oh, <laughs> even worse. Because if you, I mean, okay. It, <laughs> visual image. The minute you feel the flame hit your body. Uh, and you're you're awake, you're right. burning alive. That that oh. yeah, no. Mm-mm. By and the with way, my luck, it would be like the operator that's doing it would be like stepped away eating a sandwich or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he had a bathroom break in the middle of R- middle of it, so he wouldn't even hear me. Decides to go <laughs> drop that thirty minute deuce. And you're, yeah, yeah. After his coffee. <laughs> you're in there screaming. Yeah. Mm, yep. Mm. No. No. Yeah. Um. By the way, speaking of nightmare stuff, uh, Bruiser and I were talking about, you know, the new Insidious movie is out on the 7th. Yeah. yeah. Have you Looking seen the, to it. the commercial for that? Yes. Does that not creep you out? Yeah. Are you, are you claustrophobic? Uh, you know what? I am now. I, I didn't used to be, but I am now. That scene with the, I don't know if it's a demon monster, whatever it is, in the MRI machine. Mm-hmm. Yep. I have the worst problems in MRI machines as it is. I I have mm-hmm. to take like three Klonopin, four Klonopin before I even go in an MRI machine. Mm-hmm. But then on top of it, the fact that, first of all, the power goes out and you're trapped in the MRI machine. Right. Drove me up a wall just to see that. Mm-hmm. That and being buried alive. Two worst fears in my life. Right. Wasn't Ryan, oh, what's his name? Uh, wasn't he in a movie called like Buried or something like that? Yes, uh, you remember Ryan that movie? Reynolds. Yeah, yes. Like, and it's not a happy ending. No, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> and then, and then to see that thing crawling up the MRI yeah. tube. Oh my effing god, Mally! Oh, I would die of a heart attack. Oh, I, I, ugh. I, ugh. I, 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 my heart would explode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, that would be it. I'd be done. Mm-hmm. That'd be it. Couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. Mm, no. But yeah, Insidious, go see it on Friday or Thursday. I'm sorry, it comes out on Thursday. Not Friday, but Thursday. No. Patrick yeah, Wilson. No, I'm looking forward to it. I like that series. I do too. I do too. 
it's a good good show good series but mm-hmm. and you guess. know what the actor patrick wilson he always has stories of weird things that happen on set when he's filming those kind of movies right mm-hmm. right uh, hopefully nothing in the mri machine <laughs> no thank you mm. oh i i don't know how i'm gonna sit there and watch that movie with with that scene yeah that scene is gonna wreck me <laughs> what's the what's the movie that was out recently within the last couple of years where is it the they it's a horror movie where they it was it the it was part of the um the conjuring series okay where it's the the nun it was the nun remember where she buries the priest alive yes Yep. Oh my God, that freaked me out. Mm-hmm. Where she buries the priest alive and he's trying to ring the bell. Yep. Oh, and then the nail marks in the coffin and oh. But that used to happen in real life back in the 1800s. I know that. Oh. By the way, I think in a former life, in a past life, I've been, I've been, I've been drowned and I've been buried alive because I, I have irrational fears. Oh. Probably. Mm. You should look into that. And hung. I've been hung. I know I've been Ew. hung. Yep. And I know I've lost my head. I know I've been beheaded. Because mm-hmm. I have irrational fears. I have such irrational fears. You should do a fears. past life regression and see what happens. I know for a fact I've I've been beheaded because I've seen it in, in history class. Mm-hmm. Honor <gasps> history. I remember you told me about that. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I saw my head in the sand and I saw blood coming out from underneath it. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Anywho, speaking of history, um, <laughs> would you, by the way, Mally, would you spend what? the night in the Paris catacombs for $10 million? Our friend Jeff yeah. Belanger, our friend Jeff Belanger has been in the Paris catacombs. Mm-hmm. But you would? You'd spend the night there for $10 million? Sure. You say that now. Yeah, but we've spent the night in haunted places before. Sure, haunted places. But this is the Paris catacombs. This is the next level. I would do it for $10 million? Yeah. Okay. Let me uh, preface this. I'll read the story here. The dark, bone-filled catacombs are more than a lot of people believe they can handle even for millions of dollars. For some, the offer of a $10 million prize in exchange for spending the night in the catacombs of Paris may seem like a no-brainer, like for Mally. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> well, no, I'm not calling you a no-brainer. I'm saying it's a no-brainer for you. You're like, $10 million? Sure, boom, put yeah. me in there. We've I got it. we scary places. Sure. I can do this, I think. <laughs> oh, you think? Now it's I think. Before you're like, yep, nope, give it to me. I'm there. Not a problem. After all, there are many who would relish the opportunity to go down there and explore its labyrinth tunnels, especially those with an interest in history, urban exploration, or paranormal investigation. When a debate broke out on Twitter recently, however, a surprising number of people insisted that there was no way they'd spend the night down there, not even for $10 million. Before you decide whether you'd be among them, it's important to note exactly what awaits anyone brave enough to spend the night down in the Paris catacombs. 
Intended as a solution to the French capital's overflowing cemetery problems, workers began ferrying corpses to the tunnels in the late 18th century. Today, it's believed that the skeletal remains of six million people are interred there, Mally. Mm-hmm. Just imagine, six million people. Spending the night with six million people. Yeah, but I'm more afraid of getting lost down there than spending the night with the remains of six million people. Right. Because I have no sense of direction. I would be lost easily. But you're down there with six million people lost for the night. The lost part would creep me out, mm-hmm. wouldn't freak me out. Mm-hmm. But the bones, I think I would be okay. Yeah. Those bones are not just buried in the ground either. Many of them form ornate, grim displays comprised of skulls and thigh bones arranged like some sort of hellish work of art. Visitors are welcome to venture down there if they're brave enough to do so. With that in mind, listeners, would you spend the night in the dark tunnels surrounded by six million dead? You know what? Email me, Tim at darknessradio.com. Send us a little parish share note and let us know, would you spend the night in the Paris catacombs for $10 million? I'm interested to know. Would you? Am I by myself? Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. If you're by yourself. Or would you at least try? I would try. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'd succeed, but I would try. Right. Yeah. I think I could. Mm-hmm. I think I could. I wouldn't guarantee it, but I think I could. Right. Let's move on. I got a couple of Bigfoot stories, I believe, here. A couple of Bigfoot stories for you today. The first one is actually a report that aired on CBS. It had to do with experts analyzing new Bigfoot footage. A group of scientists gathered in the Dallas area to uh, reveal new HD video that they say is proof of the legendary creature and that Bigfoot exists uh, Sherry Williams actually has this report. Bigfoot is real. Just ask the researchers who captured this video. These images have never been seen until now. The group behind it is known as the Sasquatch Genome Project. A genetic scientist, Dr. Melba Ketchum, led the effort. We just want people to understand this is a serious study. The five-year study cost more than a half million dollars, all given yep. by businessman Adrian Erickson. You know, just people have cho- chosen to just, they don't want to believe it, they can't find in their minds to believe these things exist. So the group set out to track what they call the furry people. They say they followed a mother and daughter in Kentucky and captured various images and video. These are photos of massive prints. The video is compelling, but the strongest evidence the group has is DNA it says it's collected. The group says there are thousands of these creatures in the United States, including right here in North Texas. As for the DNA, they say it is like nothing that has been seen before. This creature does not follow the general rule. What it does do is it's, it's very different. We think it is a human hybrid. That is our theory. Hybrid, they say, because some of the DNA samples sent to UT Southwestern, New York University, and the North Louisiana Crime Lab came back human, but others did not. They say the science is there, whether you want to accept it or not. 
you're not dealing with an animal. You're dealing with something that walks on two legs, has children, and obviously through other types of research and audio, they have a language. All signs, um, the group says, again, that Bigfoot just... is no longer a big myth. In Dallas, Shari Williams, CBS 11. So Shari Williams was the, uh, was the reporter there. Troy Hudson was the um, voice, the other voice you heard that said that there were children involved in, in that, mm-hmm. um, that uh, you're not dealing with something that's necessarily human. And he was from the Sasquatch Genome Project. Interesting stuff. And, and I had no idea that Melba Ketchum was, was involved with that particular project in that area of the country, which is, is interesting news uh, indeed. What do you think, Mel? Well, I mean, I definitely think it's interesting that they sent off the DNA and some results came back that it was human and some didn't. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was the most shocking part of that, that story, mm-hmm. that's for sure. Uh, we had a story a couple of weeks ago that a woman who found, she found Bigfoot tracks and she claimed that this uh track that she found had to belong to a 20 foot big or 20 20 foot (laughs) i'm not putting this right 20 foot large bigfoot in other words it had to be 20 feet tall and berzer at the time said well that's not true because and we figured out the 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 foot size of this bigfoot and we were saying, well, Shaquille O'Neal has a similar foot size, and he's only what seven foot three, right? Um, so we figured it was probably around anywhere from you know seven to eight feet tall. Now, the woman who found the Bigfoot tracks, twice the size of humans, has been mocked by different believers of Bigfoot, saying, "Well, obviously, you don't know how to measure, mm-hmm. you know, measure this foot." The Bigfoot Facebook forum has slammed the woman's image, saying it was as fake as the day is long, but some defended it as genuine evidence of the legendary creature's existence. This is the only problem with coming out with evidence and Mm -hmm. putting it out in public is that people do tend to be almost skeptical to the point of cynical. A woman who found a footprint twice the size of a human's has been mocked by Bigfoot believers. Uh, Joriska, I believe it's Reginders, snapped the supersized print when she was out walking on a beach. She then posed the pic on a forum of Bigfoot believers on Facebook, which has more than 135,000 members and is based in Texas in the U.S. She was quickly slammed, and the picture itself was slammed as a fake. One user said that the image was as fake as the day is long, while another said it was one of the worst fakes they'd ever seen whereas others believed the print was genuine and defended the picture as belonging to Sasquatch, another name, of course, for Bigfoot. Uh, The user said, I noticed that this Bigfoot has feet that leaves perfectly square edges, especially in the heel of the foot. The only thing in nature that can make a track without curvature, especially in its heel, is the Sasquatch. This track is genuine, another went on to say. Joriska uh, then defended her image, saying that she didn't fake the picture, but conceded that it could be a gigantic human print. She said, I didn't make the print. It was a track from somebody with big foot. <laughs> that's, that's exactly how it's <laughs> written, big foot. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably human with big feet or terrible English, one or the other. <laughs> uh, the legend of Bigfoot famous with some believing it is a large and hairy human-like creature purported to inhabit forests in North America. Uh, enthusiasts often 
offer dubious evidence to prove Bigfoot's existence, such as photos, video, and audio footage, but most of the claims have been identified as hoaxes and misidentification. A Bigfoot expert recently revealed the key signs people should keep an eye on for elusive creatures wandering the woods. Expert Thomas Markham of the Crypto Crew has said, the Crypto Crew, wasn't that an 80s synth band? <laughs> yeah, it would look great on a t-shirt. It would. Ladies and gentlemen, the Crypto Crew uh, has said people exploring in and around forests should keep their eyes peeled for potential signs of Bigfoot activity, such as eerie stick formations, which could be used as a sign of pack activity. Other signs of the beast could include tree breaks, which could mean Bigfoot is traversing the area at the same time as those venturing into the forests. Speaking to the Daily Star, he said, uh, there are some things a person can look for, such as unusual stick structures, archways, and tree breaks. But of course, we always like to find foot tracks in these same areas. I don't know. I'm always leery of people who come out and attack people the minute they post something. It's it's right. always, yeah. I think in our paranormal world, we are harsh on others. With oh, their, yes. With their evidence. And it's sad. Very much so, yeah. It it, it does get very sad, Mal. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it gets to the point where it's almost ridiculous how people just jump. Because mm-hmm. uh, if she is innocent, she was not faking it or was unaware that what she discovered was fake. That lady had no idea what she was yeah, <laughs> in yeah. for. Yeah, exactly. Unfortunately. She had no idea the onslaught that was coming. That's for sure. Yeah. That's for sure. Uh, let's get into some entertainment news, shall we? Uh, let's start it off uh, with The Walking Dead. I know you said you're you're not really paying much attention. Yeah, haven't paid I haven't watched attention. it since we stopped doing the zombie bowling league. Oh my gosh, that was a long time ago. I know, that's how long it's been. I kind of like lost interest after that. Wow. A lot of yeah. people a lot of people stopped watching it. Um and I get why, you know, the minute um the minute a certain main character was taken off the show, mm-hmm. it, it was it was pretty much over and done for a lot of people, which yes. you know, I'll, I'll I'll give it this. Um the comic and the TV show um, had a lot of differences. And for better or for worse, I think the comic was much better. It was a much better product. Um, the comic, of course, has been done for years. Um, mm-hmm. Or I shouldn't say years, but for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, the TV series, I thought the way the TV series wrapped up was very good. Um, and the TV series actually had a, a couple of good years at the end. But it was one of those things where Scott Dimple, I think, kind of ruined it for a while. Um, okay. And and Angela Kang came in and cleaned it up and, and really made it a very interesting show towards the end. And it really became a good show. It, it got back to the the theme of people are really the real enemy. Um, mm-hmm. And and the yet the the zombies really became I sh- I'm sorry they don't call them zombies they're walkers they're whatever you want to call them um, they really became more dangerous at the end and they introduced something at the very end of the show where the walkers got more dangerous and they okay. they hinted that they're about to become more dangerous and they they introduced more variations on the walkers. 
which they became more dangerous. Uh, they, they got faster. They, they, um, they became more athletic, I guess. Um, lots of good stuff. There was lots of good variations in, in things to be more promising. The other thing that was more promising is they were going to spread out. I guess, you know, they were going to spread out to different areas of the world, different scenarios, um, different settings. You know, we mm -hmm. got when with Fear the Walking Dead, we got more scenarios. I actually started to really enjoy Fear the Walking Dead. I know there's a lot of people that don't like that show either. I only watched a couple episodes of that. Yeah. And, and some people kind of gave up on that after a few mm -hmm. seasons. Um, they've introduced a lot of a lot of the characters from Walking Dead into Fear the Walking Dead, mm -hmm. uh, which is good. Morgan went over there for, for and, and he's been over there for a long time. Um, a few of the other characters from from the Walking Dead went over to Fear the Walking Dead, and and it's I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed that show a lot. I, th I think they brought some of the some of the the and and really they're in the last season of Fear the Walking Dead this year. And they brought the feel of The Walking Dead over to Fear the Walking Dead. So it, it really does feel like the spirit of The Walking Dead is over there. Okay. And now with Dead City, there's a whole new apocalyptic feel, and it has an urban feel. And, okay. And it feels claustrophobic. Mm. Um, and it's a whole new different feel. And you've got Negan and Maggie uh, teaming up, and it feels uncomfortable. Right. And the one thing they've brought to Dead City, which is, it's the one thing that you were hoping they would get to in the end of The Walking Dead. There's a there's a key there's a key beat in the comic that they never got back to in Walking Dead, and that's there's a double turn with Negan. Negan goes from being a major villain to a somewhat of a hero, kind of a gray area, kind of an anti-hero. Mm -hmm. And eventually he turns back to somewhat of a villain again. He has that, he borders on becoming a villain again. Okay. And he's turning again slowly. Mm. He's, he's getting back to his roots. He's starting to become, um, let's put it this way. He, he, he can't resist certain urges. Okay. Okay. Um, and He's teamed up with Maggie, and basically, here's the plot of Dead City. The plot of Dead City is this. Maggie's son has been kidnapped. Um, Maggie is, is up on Hilltop, or at Hilltop, uh, helping run the civilization there. Uh, they get raided by one of Negan's old, um, just, just put them, allies of the saviors. Okay. Okay. And he's more nuts than Negan. And they end up taking Herschel, which is Maggie's son. Right. And they end up taking him and bringing him to Manhattan, the island of Manhattan, New mm -hmm. York City. And he's holed up in, in a stadium. I think they, they're trying to make you assume it's Madison Square Garden. Okay. Uh, but it's a stadium in Manhattan. And Maggie has decided that, you know, she's going after Herschel. Well, you also find out that this ally, former ally of Negan, I don't remember what his name is. It's a weird name. Um, mm -hmm. That he he wants Negan dead. 
essentially he's he's trying to get revenge because Negan essentially tried to take a shot at him or tried to kill him, but missed and shot his ear off. Okay. Okay. So he wants Negan dead. And he's essentially set up the second coming of the saviors in this mm. in this uh, stadium. Um but he's he's got a twist. And that twist, which you find out this week, is that he's found a way to liquefy people into methane. Oh. Right? Yeah. Right. So he's using people as a resource. Mm-hmm. He's using people for energy, which okay. is bizarre, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and so he's even more dastardly and more evil than Negan ever was. Okay. So Negan runs into Maggie along the way, or, or actually Maggie goes and seeks out Negan to help help her get Herschel back. She finds out as Negan is helping her that Negan is getting these old urges back to as he's as he's helping her. Mm-hmm. Um he's becoming a little bit more evil and a little more unleashed and, and she's worried that he's going to turn back into the old Negan. So we're only three weeks in to Mm -hmm. dead city, but it's a very good show. Very good show. Um, so I don't know. I'd encourage people to, to check out dead city. Very good show. But in dead city, you're getting a look at the new walking dead, Daryl Dixon show which the Walking Dead Daryl Dixon show was originally supposed to be Daryl and Carol. Okay. But the, uh, the, the woman who plays Carol backed out, didn't want to be part of the show. Oh. Uh, Greg Nicotero, who was the special effects coordinator and director on a bunch of the episodes, um, is directing and producing the, the uh, Daryl show, the mm-hmm. Daryl Dixon show. And is promising that the spinoff will definitely be not more the same. In fact, this one takes place in France. Oh. Now, you may wonder to yourself, how does Daryl Dixon get to France? Right. Right? That will be explained in the first episode. Although, these 15-second vignettes, these little commercials, Mm -hmm. are giving you little glimpses as to how Daryl gets there. Okay. Okay. Uh, the Walking Dead, Daryl Dixon unleashed yet another new teaser during the July 2nd episode of The Walking Dead, Dead City. And while most of the footage we already saw in last week's extended sneak peek of Daryl traversing the French countryside, there was a new addition um, at the very end. Last week's scene ended with Daryl arriving outside a mysterious abandoned building. However, this week's teaser showed Daryl inside the building, and he's not alone as a zombie a hand rises up ominously from the floor. There's a, there's a teaser online that will show you that you can go online and see the teaser Uh, through these three teasers and the extended scene. We now have gotten a pretty good gander at what the look of what the new Norman Reedus starring spinoff series will be. It's going to look a lot older. It looks, uh, you know, with, with the walking dead series, You've got a lot of cars. You've got a lot of modern things. Right. Uh-huh. They're going with a lot of like horse and carriage type look with the, with the French series. And it looks okay. a lot. It looks like it's maybe set 100, 150 years back, which is kind of cool. It's, it's mm-hmm. got a cooler look to it. Um, so you get a look at the Norman Reedus 
starring spinoff series and what it will be like. Um, and so uh, Entertainment Weekly tracked down Greg Nicotero to see what, if he could tell him about what it looks like. Nicotero actually told EW, it's probably the closest to a standalone show that you'll ever get when it comes to The Walking Dead and a spinoff. The goal isn't just to see Daryl and Exotic in new places and locations, but to explore a wholly different world. If you're expecting to see much of the same stuff that transpired over 11 seasons of The Walking Dead on the new show, Nicotero says to think again. This is definitely not more of the same. Our show introduces new characters, new themes, and an exciting extension of the genre that will delight people who love this kind of storytelling and crave more. Not only do Nicotero and the Daryl Dixon team not feel threatened by some of the other recent post-apocalyptic critical darlings to hit screens, the producers and cast actually feel reinvigorated by their success of their competition, which is The Last of Us and Station Eleven, and prove that there are still moving survival stories to be told. He also went on to say, and our goal is to satisfy those people who want to go on the adventure. He says, hop on, it's going to be a ride. So I'm looking forward to it, Mally. You know, if you watch the tr- uh, the, the teasers, if mm-hmm. you kind of see some of the scenes and you see what it looks like, it looks like a completely different world, uh, completely different stunts, completely different story. Uh, it looks kind of encouraging. So I'm looking did forward to it. Did you just see the teasers online or where did you see them? I saw them both on television and online. Okay. Yeah. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, most definitely. Um Let's continue on. Comic book fans may say that uh, the era of the superhero movie is over. If you've seen what's happened with the Flash movie, it's not good. Uh, I I enjoyed the Flash movie, but Mm -hmm. they're already offering two-for-one movie tickets. It's only been 10 days since the movie's been out. Oh, that's not good. No, that's not encouraging. I did tell people real quick before we... Uh, before we go any further, I told people I'd review the Indiana Jones movie real quick. Oh, yeah. Yep. Have you seen it? How was it? No, I haven't seen it. I, I loved it. I liked it a lot. Um, okay. I know there's a lot of people. And, you know, I, I started a discussion on, on my social media about the Indiana Jones movie. I had some people who said, you know, I'm not going to go see it because of reviews. Oh. Which I find discouraging. Right, because um, those are just opinions. Yeah, they're just opinions of reviewers, much like my my opinion is my or my review is my opinion. Mm-hmm. But here's the deal, and it's simply this: um, with this chapter, um, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, it is a return in my in my opinion. And James Mangold, who directed Logan, um, he has a. James Mangold has a way of returning back to the source material. And he does that with Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. This movie is a return back to the source material of what Indiana Jones really is. Okay. And it's a very good story. It's a very good story, good action. Um, You get new characters introduced. You also get to see some of the... We'll just say there's some surprises in there in in the movie. Uh, Essentially, Indiana Jones teams up with his goddaughter, Helena, who you meet in this movie, um, to uh, recover Archimedes Dial, who her father at one time has gotten a hold of um, and is almost driven mad by. 
Okay. And so Indy essentially doesn't want anything to do with Archimedes' dial right away. Um, he, he realizes that Baz, her father, is, was driven, almost driven mad by it. Um, he wants basically his goddaughter to stay away from it. His goddaughter has become an archaeologist as well. And uh, the hijinks ensues from there. He only has ha- or she only has half the dial. And the idea is that they have to go get the other half of the dial and put it together. Baz has, has done research and seen that Archimedes' dial is more than just a clock or a glorified clock, so to speak, that it actually can um, repair fissures in time or, or go after fissures in time and, and transport you there. In the meantime, Mally, our old friend the Nazis are back. Uh-oh. But what's interesting is we're not back in, at least for now, there's there's different parts in the movie where we are back in time because we tell the story of Baz and Indy um, back in World War II, at the end of World War II. Mm-hmm. So there's a bit of a de-aging process that we get to see, which was very good. So we get to see Indiana Jones and, and Harrison Ford de-aged via um, special effects. Okay. There's only one or two little flaws in there. You you'll you may notice them, you may not. Um, in the, in the beginning of the movie, and then we come forward to quote unquote modern day to the moon landing, which is where okay. the rest of the the rest of the movie takes place in that era. In the that was the late sixties, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. Where the rest of the movie is in in an era where uh, Indy is getting ready to retire from the university. Okay, mm-hmm. so you've got two different eras in that movie, and I'll and I'll stop there, and we'll let the rest kind of simmer. But uh, but I enjoyed this movie. I enjoyed it a lot. In fact, I would give it a four out of five stars. Okay. I thought it was very good. Like I said, good action, good acting. Um, And I'll leave you with one other note. Harrison Ford has said that this is going to be the last time he dons the fedora. This is, this Mm -hmm. is it. And no other Indiana Jones movies. James Mangold, who directed the film says no other Indiana Jones movies for him either. And he was handpicked by Steven Spielberg to direct this movie. Okay. Without them, there's only a few other directions you could go. There's only a few others, you know, there's only certain ways you could go. And you'll see what I mean when you see the movie. I think it's okay to end it here. I think it's okay to end it with this movie. And if this is the way you end the Indiana Jones franchise, I'm satisfied. Okay. Yeah, I think it's a good way to end it. I think it's perfectly fine. Some people may disagree. And I think some people may disagree wholeheartedly. If you ended it like this, I think some people would be disappointed. Um, But I'm okay with it. Um, You know, there's an article out there. um, Frank Darabont, we were talking Walking Dead just a moment ago. Frank Mm -hmm. Darabont, who wrote the first and, and directed and produced some of the first Walking Dead episodes wrote a movie that's very similar to the last Indiana Jones movie. It's called Indiana Jones and the City of the Gods. And a lot of that script got cherry-picked for the last Indiana Jones movie. 
that script for Indiana Jones and the City of the Gods would have been one of the best Indiana Jones movies ever released. Unfortunately, George Lucas didn't like it. Oh. But Steven Spielberg loved it. He wanted to make it. And because the two couldn't come together, the idea was George and Steven Spielberg had to love the movie together. They had to love the script together in order to make it. Because one didn't like it and the other did, it didn't get made. Had that movie been made, there would not have been a son for Indiana Jones. It would have changed what you saw on the screen. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe, just maybe, you wouldn't have the movie you have right now. And maybe things would be different. But we have what we have right now. And I think what we have right now is good. It's very good. So it, I'm not talking about the last movie, but this movie. So again, uh-huh. four out of five. I'd go see it at regular price. I think you'll like what you see. Don't listen to the reviews because I think the reviews are unfair. So there you go. Now, let's get to superhero movies. Now, okay. Because superhero movies seem to be falling by the wayside. And superhero TV projects seem to be falling by the wayside. And the quality seems to be going down, 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 down. And why is that? I think it's because it's not because there's a lack of ideas out there or stories mm-hmm. out there that are good. It's because we're not capturing the spirit of what's out there. Okay. Okay. And it's obvious right now because there's a project out there called Echo that uh, is spun off of the Daredevil TV series that was out there and put on Netflix. If you remember, there was a, a female lead or a female character that was a villain who became a hero by the name of Echo. Okay. And it's actually being featured in in the comic right now. There's a Daredevil Echo series that is out there right now. The headline is they weren't happy with it. Marvel reportedly is planning to give Charlie Cox's Daredevil spinoff series the Batgirl treatment. In other words, Batgirl got shelved by Warner Brothers Discovery. It got shelved for a tax break. Okay. But with this Daredevil series, it's a whole different deal. Uh. It says here that out of all the upcoming MCU shows, it's undeniable that Charlie Cox's Daredevil is the most highly anticipated after all Vincent D'Onofrio is returning. And it's rumored that characters like White Tiger and more will be paying Hell's Kitchen a visit. However, things aren't looking good for the show preceding it. Charlie Cox's Mac Murdoch and Vincent D'Onofrio's Kingpin were rumored to meet for the first time in the MCU in the Hawkeye spinoff Echo. I'm sorry, it's Hawkeye, not I got my show screwed up. Hawkeye, not uh, Daredevil. Hawkeye spinoff Echo. However, uh, there's almost uh, negligible hype for the show starring uh, Alaqua Cox as Maya Lopez. However, uh, that's not its major concern. Apparently, Marvel Studios thought about canning it completely. Uh, Chris Brewster is a veteran Marvel stuntman who recently worked on Captain America Brave New World. Previously, he has worked on famed MCU projects like The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Captain America the Winter Soldier, Black Panther, Daredevil, Ant-Man and the Wasp, and more. He revealed on the Icuso Unscripted podcast that Marvel Studios is far from pleased with 
Alacqua Cox's Echo, and at one point they were actively thinking of canceling it, like the 2022 DC film Batgirl, the now infamous DC superhero film that never saw the light of day, even though it was done filming because Warner Brothers Discovery used it for tax write-offs, citing that the film was unreleasable and bad, although there's been other reports that have cited different. They say it's quite a good film, but they just wanted the tax write-off. The mm. implications of the veteran's stuntman or the veteran stuntman's words are interesting, but what does that mean for Daredevil? Well, it's this. Chris Brewster's said that even though the Marvel Studios isn't happy with Echo, they are planning on doing reshoots and fixing as much of it as they can before airing it. As such, one has to ask if it will affect Charlie Cox's Daredevil, which is rumored to be connected to it. Previously, it was speculated that the storyline from Echo would be explored in Daredevil. As such, the news of reshoots and Marvel not being satisfied with the show is troubling. In fact, the allegations by Brewster that Marvel could use it as backup programming because of the ongoing WGA strike, Writers Guild of America strike, and the possible SAG strike are more concerning. It means that it's filler at best and rumored to not be so good as well. Uh, this isn't the first time rumors of Echo being subpar have circulated online. As such, one has to wonder if Marvel will be able to salvage this. The studio needs to put out good projects after getting flack throughout Phase 4 for putting out less than good offerings. And it remains to be seen how Echo ultimately turns out to be. Echo will be released on November 29th on Disney+. Plus. I have not actually seen any of the, the newer stuff on Disney+. Plus. I've actually been a little too busy to get to it but i got some disney plus binging to be doing here uh, in the next few weeks so there you go uh and finally mally our final story for today are you familiar with frank frazetta at all the name sounds familiar but i who who is he remind me big time fantasy artist big time painter uh paints a lot of the fantasy stuff if you've ever seen um uh, there's a Molly Hatchet. He did a Molly Hatchet album, 1976 Molly Hatchet album. Um, uh, I'll I'll show you a picture here, and you okay. might you might recognize the artwork. Uh, not really, no. Okay. so I was okay. I wasn't correct. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, a Frank Frazetta painting of a brawny warrior sold for six million dollars, making it the world's highest priced work of comic book or fantasy art ever. Uh, the image was used on the cover of a 1979 Molly Hatchet album, as well as Carl Edward Wagner's 1976 novel, uh, Dark Crusade. Uh, Frank Frazetta's painting, Dark Kingdom, fetched some $6 million at Heritage Auctions on Thursday, becoming the world's most valuable work of comic book or fantasy art. It broke a record that had stood for three years, set by the same artist at the same house, uh, showing a buff axe-wielding warrior wearing a winged helmet, striding over human skeletons what, with what appears to be a dragon's tail, uh, wielding into the foreground. The image has been emblazed on prints, posters, coffee mugs, and T-shirts, placing it among the artist's most reproduced work, uh, according to the auction house. I think it's the same Molly Hatchet. Yeah, it's, it's the Molly Hatchet uh, record flirting with disaster. You remember that album? No. You don't remember Flirting with Disaster? No, I'm sorry. 
Uh, the, the, the painting appeared on the cover of rock band Molly Hatchett's double platinum 1979 record, Flirting with Disaster. Uh, the title single reached number 42 on the Billboard Hot 100 in 1980. It was also the cover of Carl Edward Wagner's fantasy 1976 novel, Dark Crusade. It's extraordinarily rare whenever an artwork universally considered the best in any genre becomes available on the open market, said Heritage, Heritage Auctions Executive Vice President Todd Hignite. Uh, we're excited and proud that today's record-setting result reflects that status for this immediate recognizable image, which is burned into the consciousness of several generations of Frazetta fans. Frazetta's Egyptian Queen, which was uh, dated 1969, appeared on the cover of Erie Magazine, number 23, which previously held the record after selling at Heritage for $5.4 million. The auctioneer has sold several several Frazetta works in excess of $1 million, including Death Dealer 6 in 1990 for $1.7 million and A Princess of Mars from 1970 for $1.2 million. Fantasy Art is having something of a day in the sun. In 2020, Tashin published the 532-page illustrated book Masterpieces of Fantasy Art, which discusses artists ranging from old masters like Hieronymus uh, Bosch to Frazetta, H.R. Geiger, and uh, Boris Vallejo. Uh, a boom in film and TV adaptions of comic books has also led to a bustling comic book market, as Art News reported in 2022, with dealers making six-figure sales at events like Comic-Con. I myself have a... Uh, I don't have it around here. I, I met... Uh, reason i read the story and by the way i want to thank margot for sending in that story from about frank frazetta the uh, the thing i showed you from frank frazetta that uh, that six million dollar piece of art mm-hmm. uh, that appeared on molly hatchett's album flirting with disaster is one of the more famous frank frazetta works uh i have a i have a 20 dollar drawing from jim salakrup from marvel comics that i got at uh, <laughs> at a at a minneapolis convention last month and it, uh, it's a picture of Iron Man. Okay. And um, he called it a truly crappy drawing. He was selling them for 20 bucks. And it just <laughs> looks like a little cartoon. It's a drawing of Iron Man that says, uh, did somebody say open bar? Um, yeah, it's it just, yeah, it's, it's, that, that, that's my little piece of original art that I have here in my studio. So there you mm-hmm. go. Um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, Original art is a big thing, especially when it comes to uh, comic artists. And I, uh, I only have one or two pieces, but I, I, I have some. Everybody should have some original art. So there you mm-hmm. But there you go. That's how we end Supernatural News today. Um, Mally, I want to thank you so much for filling in this week again. It is always my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Uh, again, folks, want you to send out your your thoughts, your prayers, your your good energy to Bruiser. He is re- uh, recuperating from um, hip surgery, from hip replacement surgery. Uh, he's still pretty sore from that, and uh, he's recuperating right now. He's doing therapy for that right now, uh, getting back on his feet. If you can continue to send that good energy, those good thoughts, those good prayers uh, for his continued recuperation, we'd appreciate it. Um, and, and if you want to support him and help him uh, as he p- 
pays for that surgery because that's an expensive surgery. He had anterior uh, surgery. In other words, they went in through the front of his hip. Mm. Um, you can do so as Pro Wrestling Tees has a sale through the 7th of July. Uh, you can buy a Beer City Bruiser t-shirt. We have a link in the description of this program. Uh, click that link. Go buy a Beer City Bruiser t-shirt. You get 20% off until the 7th of July and help Beer City Bruiser pay for that surgery. So there you go. Save 20% as well and support Beer City Bruiser. Uh, you can go ahead and do that. MallyParanormalGirl.com. People can find out all things Mally there, correct? Yes. That's right. Uh, check out Mally and all the things she has going on at ParanormalGirl.com. Mally will also be at uh, Michigan Paracon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, you don't want to tease us at all with anything big you might have going on there? Uh, <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> I, I'm i supposed to have my designs already turned in to be printed up, and I have it. <laughs> ah, I see. So, yikes, it's going to be down to the wire like normal. <laughs> Pro procrastination is our friend, is it? Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. No, I've got a couple ideas, so. Okay. Yep. All right. So, well, maybe we'll find out in, in a few weeks. We'll, we might yeah. tease, tease people. I'll do some them. teasing. There you go. We'll, I we'll, usually do. There you go. We'll, it's going to involve black. It always does. <gasps> Black t-shirts at a paranormal convention. I know. Hey, I tried pink last year and it did not sell well. No? No. I was very surprised because I was mm. like, let's get away from the black just for this time. And nope, my black sold and yeah, my pink and peach did not. Really? All right. Well, uh, black t-shirts it is. I know, right? That's right. Can't All go right. wrong with t-shirts and sweatshirts. That's right. T-shirts and which sells better, t-shirts or sweatshirts? Uh, sweatshirts actually do. Really? Yeah. Right. I don't know if it's because the other vendors are selling t-shirts. Not a lot of sweatshirts going on, and plus it gets chilly at night. Ah, uh -huh, yes. And yeah. so people are like, "I need something warm." Oh. But uh, yeah, sweatshirts do very well. All right, all right. I, but I got to think that that's that's more weight to carry around when you're going to the convention. I mean, for you for would you, think, not, not but for, I think, yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of people drive. Ah, okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. You know what I mean? Yep. yep. Or they just bring it, they're like me, and they bring an extra suitcase to fill up. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. okay. All right. So, uh, Mally will be at uh, Michigan Paracon. Uh, again, get your tickets for Michigan Paracon. We'll put a link up for Michigan Paracon as well uh, in today's show. So, you can get your tickets. Go see Mally at Michigan Paracon. So, there you go. Mm -hmm. If you'd like to see me at Michigan Paracon, go bug the organizers. <laughs> that's all i gotta say go bug uh brad blair and tim ellis and uh tell them you want to see your buddy at uh, michigan paracon so there you go um i think that'll do it for today's program on tomorrow's program a little bit of paranormal potpourri it's a surprise um because it is so there you go <laughs> there you go uh folks i want to thank you so much for continuing to be good listeners and good patrons of this program I thank you so, so much for continuing to support this program. And again, if you, there's somebody that you want to hear on this program, send me a note, Tim at darknessradio.com. Give me a little bit of a contact, if you will, whether it's a website or some sort of tip as to how I get a hold of that person. Um, you know, you don't have to give me a home address or what they eat for breakfast or anything like that. Uh, just give me a little bit of a tip as to how to get a hold of them and, and even a publishing company. And, uh, 
I will take it from there and we'll get them on the show. In the meantime, we'll see you tomorrow. Thank you so much for listening to the best in paranormal podcasting. This is Darkness Radio.